0: Hey, this is Brenda Lynn Allen, and you are tuned in to 101.7 FM WKOM, Columbia, Tennessee. You're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning, the show where you gain clarity and understanding about such things as last will and testament, the probate process, trusts, and how not to lose everything you own to the high cost of the nursing home. Now here's your host, Estate Plan Stan.
1: Hey, good day to you. Good day to you on this May the 27th, 2023. Hey, you're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning with your host, Estate Plan Stan. I am Stan Pichowski with Pichowski Estate Law, Purchowski Elder Law, located on the square in beautiful downtown Pulaski, Tennessee. Bulletproof Estate Planning is the show. Where we talk about all things estate planning. You know, we talk about Last Will and Testament, which we did a couple of weeks ago. We talk about a revocable living trust, which is a good substitute for Last Will and Testament. We talk about special needs trusts. We talk about asset protection trusts, which is the topic continuing for tonight. And we also talk about 10-care planning, where you can keep from going broke in the nursing home, both pre-planning and crisis planning. And as always, I encourage questions. So this show is all about education on what your options are. So if you have a question, you can call me at my law firm, Prochowski Estate Law, Prochowski Elder Law, at 931-363-7222. Or you can go to my website, estateplanstand.com. That's estateplanstand.com. It takes you straight to my website. There you can find my email, and you can ask a question that way if you want. Hey, I always enjoy doing these shows here on Front Porch Radio, WKOM 101.7 in Columbia, Tennessee. And remember, all my episodes are posted as podcasts on the WKOM website. So if you ever miss one or you want to go back and review a topic, it's right there for you to do so. All right, say a few things before we get started. We had our seminar here in Columbia on Wednesday, the 21st. Uh, It was a great turnout. We did that at 1 o'clock in the afternoon over at 405 West 7th Street. And uh, we had a great turnout and a great bunch of folks. A lot of questions were asked. They were a very real inquisitive bunch. And that's good because that's what it's all about. You know, I'd say many times that when we uh, talk about estate planning, you've got all these options. And, uh, you know, how can you intelligently pick an option until you know what they all are? And then you have to go even further. How can you pick one of the options until you know and understand what the options do, what they don't do, their, their pros, their cons, their advantages, their disadvantages? You know, in my opinion, you can't. So that's why we focus on education. I'm, I'm trying to tell you what your options are, uh, certain things people want to do. It's okay with me if you do it. I think it's important that you know what all goes along with certain choices. Some choices have some, some um, consequences, some good, some bad. But if you know it and you then if you can do an inf, a, uh, informative decision, you know, it's a it's a well-informed decision, then that's the best of all worlds. So, all right. Hey, listen, I hope you had, you're having a wonderful weekend so far. And remember, this is a Memorial Day weekend. So Monday's Memorial Day. And I personally want to take this time to honor those men and women with a couple of thoughts. Okay. I am a very patriotic person. I'm a staunch Christian, and I'm a red-blooded American all the way. And We owe the men and women in the services of our country a debt that I don't know how, in all honesty, how such a debt could ever be repaid. Ever. All right? Now, let's think about this just for a minute. Okay? I'm going to spend a minute on this because it's important. You know, there are many, you know, many, many, many veterans who have died in the service of their country. I mean, others have been wounded, but, um, I mean, why did, they, why did they die? I mean, you got to ask this question. You can't just look at your calendar and say, okay, it's Memorial Day. It's a day off of school or it's a day off of work and you get paid for it. Let's go a little deeper with that. I mean, why did these folks give this the ultimate sacrifice? Well, it, it, the simple reason is they, they gave their lives to keep us safe, to keep us secure. I mean, uh, they t- died to keep us free to protect a way of life that we call the United States of America. Now, I'm not going to get into a discussion about that perhaps being eroded away. I mean, that's a time for another forum and another conversation. And I have my own thoughts on that. But in reality, what this is for is to honor the people that gave the ultimate sacrifice, their lives, so that we, the living, and our family, and everybody in the future you know their posterity the people that come after them is all they did all that for them now that's that is a magnanimous gesture in my in my opinion so how can that level of service i mean that level of a sacrifice that level of courage i mean how can that ever be repaid well it can't and maybe the next best thing we can do is to remember them honor them and uh, you know think of them So what we do is we set aside Memorial Day to honor and thank our veterans. We need to keep in mind that what we really should do is we should honor and thank these folks every day of the year, not just this one. Because, you know, if we're just giving thanks on Memorial Day, we're enjoying the benefits of what they've given us every day, every hour. So anyway, so as far as if you're a veteran out there and, you know, I, I thank you personally. I thank you. I thank you for what you have done for me. I thank you for what you've done for me and mine and my family. Um, I, I just can't thank you enough. And I, ha- I have not forgotten. And I am not forgetting what you have done. Nor am I uh, discounting it or looking past it. or I give it great weight in my thought process. So thank you again uh, for what you've done. All right. Listen, today I'm going to talk about the Income Only Asset Protection Trust. We started this... I think two weeks ago, or at least last week for sure, and we're talking about how not to go broke in the nursing home is what's is what's coming up. Okay, but we're still kind of building up to the actual trust, and don't worry, we'll we'll get there. But uh, you know, let me just recap a few things real quick. Okay, you know, several weeks ago I talked about a last will and testament, and I gave us an overview of the probate process. Remember. And we came to the conclusion that probate was definitely something worth avoiding, okay? Then a couple more then a couple weeks after that, we talked about the revocable living trust, how it's an agreement and how you are all three parties of the agreement. Remember, you're the trustor the maker of the trust, you're the trustee, the person who controls all the property within the trust, and you're the beneficiary, which is who the agreement is drafted to benefit. And also showed you how a fully funded revocable living trust was a 100% probate avoidance tool. So the property within the trust is controlled by you, the trustee, and not owned by you, the individual. That's what makes it pass through the trust code laws and not the probate code laws. You know, thereby, you know, complete, completely avoiding this concept called probate altogether. And last week I talked about how not to go broke in the nursing home. Okay. I talked about why we plan for long-term care. I talked about the risks that put us into long-term care, right? I talked about the catastrophic co- cost of long-term care in that it's about $8,500 a month or about $120,000 a year. That is expenses. When we talk about avoiding creditors, long-term care is going to be the biggest creditor you ever have in your life. You know, and so for those of you who didn't catch, you know, last week's show, you, you might wonder why, you know, why do I talk about this topic of long-term care? Well, I'll tell you. I talk about this because when I, I give a lot of speaking seminars, like the one we just gave Wednesday, I conduct a lot of family vision meetings, and at every one of them, and I mean every single one of them, I'm always asked the question, how do I keep the nursing home from getting all my stuff? Okay, that is by far the most popular question I get. And that's what I. Ta- that's why I talk about it. You know how not to get broken in a nursing home is what most folks out there want to hear about. I talk about the other stuff too, but this seems to be a major concern for you know people in our age bracket at least. So we you know we've started we started down this road, and we talk about this long term care planning, which is what we're talking about. Long term care planning. We talk about this. I want to make it clear that there's really only two possible categories that we can be in Uh, pre-planning, which, you know, or crisis planning I define them as those two. Now, let me define those. I may have done this before, but let me officially do it because it's important that you know which one we're talking about. Pre-planning is done when you're healthy. Okay. You're not in the nursing home and you're really not headed there soon. So pre-planning is for the person or a couple who comes into my office and says, hey, Stan, If anything ever happens to me or my spouse, and either of us needs to go into a nursing home or long-term care, I want to make sure we don't lose everything that we've worked all our lives for, okay? That's pre-planning. You're not already in there. Now, crisis planning is, you know, just like it sounds, it's just the opposite. Crisis planning is done after you or your spouse is already in care, already in the nursing home. So that's, you know, crisis planning is when a person comes into my office and says, or a couple and says, hey, Stan, my spouse had to be admitted into the nursing home and um, or they're going to be going there real soon. I want to make sure we don't lose everything that we've worked for all our lives. Okay, You see the big difference. Pre-planning we do ahead of time in anticipation that might happen. Crisis is sort of waiting to the last minute and you're actually involved and you have and you want to deal with it. So what I'm starting with here is the pre-planning process. Because the tool we use for pre-planning is this Income Only Asset Protection Trust. It truly is the ultimate secret to avoid going broke in the nursing home. All right. Now, before we get talking about that, I want to recap slightly what I was talking about in the last segment last week. Because there's two concepts that we want to plan around. And if you heard last week and you, you say, well, I heard that. I don't want to hear it again. Well, listen to it again. Because I can't say this enough. There's two concepts that we want to be aware of whenever we do asset protection, especially when we're worried about, you know, creditor protection vis-a-vis the creditor of long-term care, which is not necessarily the nursing home. It's, it's the, um, the government. Let me just say this while I'm on that topic. You know, you hear me say how not to go broke in the nursing home and keep the nursing home from getting all my stuff. That's how people relay it to me. That's really not entirely accurate because the nursing home doesn't take anything. I mean, when you go to the nursing home, you have to pay them. If you don't pay them, they don't come take your property. They just don't admit you, right? I mean, if you can't pay them, they don't have to let you in. And if you are um, indigent or broke and you get qualified for 10 care, well, then nursing home gets paid by 10 care. So there's really no scenario where the nursing home doesn't get paid. So they're not the ones that take our property. The government, the state of Tennessee, takes our property by virtue of the Ten Care Act. All right. Ten Care is Tennessee's version of Medicaid. And that's how they get it. So, all right. So there's two concepts I want to make sure are crystal clear in your mind. If it's not, go back and listen to the podcast. Listen to it again and again if you have to. And if it's still not clear, call me. Maybe we can talk about it. Maybe I'm not being as clear as I should be. We need to know and understand. And that's this concept of everybody calls it the five year look back rule. Okay, the five year look back rule. And the other concept is the 10 care estate recovery act. And I'm going to talk about them briefly. I talked about the five year rule last week and I'm going to summarize it. And then I'm going to start off with the, uh, the estate recovery act, 10 care estate recovery act. And the first one, the five year look back. We talked about that. Remember, we said, if you, if you are in a nursing home and you file a 10-care application, that starts the five-year look-back period. Because remember, I said, you, you know, that five-year look-back rule for just about everybody listening to my voice is a future event. You can't even file a 10-care application. Let me put it this way. The, f- the five years begins the day you file the 10-care application. And you can't even file a ten care application until you are institutionalized or you're in care if you you know I can't just file one now just to see how things would work out, see if I'm eligible because it would fail on square number one, which is I'm not in care so it's a future event, but when that event comes around, and let's fast forward and I put myself in the nursing home and my family I'm there for a month, and my family says we need to file for ten care, and they do when ten care gets that application. That is day one of this five-year period. And remember, I said, what you've given them the right to do is to look in your history for 60 months, five years. And that that is a jurisdictional term. It is not 60 months in one day. It is exactly 60 months. And I said, what they're looking for is, did you give away anything for less than market value? We also called it an uncompensated transfer, meaning you've given something away and you you didn't get anything for it. You know, you gifted your deed to the house, to your kid and said, here you go, son, here's the house for $10, love and affection it's yours. Okay, well, that's an uncompensated transfer. And that's what they're looking for. And when they find something, they're going to say, all right, you've given away this money or this property. If it's property, they'll put a value on it. It always ends up being this amount of money, right? And when they find that you've given stuff away in the 60 months, then they're going to punish you for giving it away. And the theory is if you didn't give it away, you would have it to pay them, right? It makes sense. I mean, I, understanding why where it comes from doesn't make me feel any better. It just makes me understand it better, right? <laughs> so I get the idea. I don't agree with it, but I get the idea. And so if you give something away, they're going to calculate something's called a penalty period. And I think that's exactly what I was talking about at the end of last week's show. And I'm just going to hit it again. Because it is very important. Because a lot of people think, oh, if you give something away, you're not eligible for 10 care for five whole years. And that's not exactly the truth. It's, this penalty period is based on the amount of assets you give away. If you don't give much away, your penalty period is small. It's not automatically five years. Now, it can be five years, and it can be more than five years. There's no upper limit to it. But it's the, the, the equation is based on the value you give away. All right? So if you give something away... And again, I want to go over the presumption of the law. The presumption of the law is if you give something away for less than market value and you do so in the 60 months prior to filing the the 10 care application, the presumption under the law is that you gave it away so that 10 care couldn't get it. And I think I reminded you that the language of the statute says if you've given it away in 60 months prior to being admitted to a nursing or filing an application for 10 care, you have given it away for eligibility purposes, meaning you've given it away so you're eligible because a lot of people think, well, if, you know, if they're going to get it, why can't I just give it all away to my kids now? And that's what we're talking about when we say give it away. All right? And if you give it away, they're going to punish you. Okay, now how do they punish you? Well, they create a penalty period. And a penalty period is a period of ineligibility, meaning a period they will not pay, even if you are quote, otherwise eligible, unquote. All right. Now, how does that work? Works like this. And I think the example I used was I give my house to my son and I put a value on it of $210,000 because it's a nice easy number to work in my head. And I give away this house for $210,000 and I deed it to my child. And I do so three years ago, okay? Three years so, three and a half years. And... You know, so it's within the 60 months and they find that, you know, now remember, they're going to sum them all up if I did it more than once. But let's just say there's just the one to make it simple. And so it's $210,000 and they're going to say, "Okay, Stan, we got your application. You are qualified. You're eligible. We're ready to pay. But we're not going to pay first because we're going to impose a penalty period. And so here's how they figured it out. They take the amount I gave away, which is $210,000. They're going to divide it by a special number called the Tennessee Divestment Penalty Divisor, which right now is $7,090 per month. of course, when you divide the the Divestment Penalty Divisor into the amount, you get an answer in months, right? The dollars divide out. And, you know, that's why I picked the $210,000. It's an easy number to do. We're going to get an answer of about 30 months. So they're going to have a penalty period of 30 months they're not going to pay. As soon as the 30 months expires, they're ready to pay. But I'm being penalized for giving away that property that I could have used to pay them with. Now, what are my choices? My choices are private pay for 30 months. But wait a minute, how am I going to private pay uh, when I gave everything away, right? I can't. Well, then my other choice is not have care. Do you see how harsh the penalty period is? I mean, we want to avoid this like the plague. This is a bad place to be because if you can't satisfy one of those two criteria, then your kid's got a pony up. So anyway, that's a recap. Uh, What we're going to do is um, take coming up on break number one. And after the break, I'm going to start talking about estate recovery, because that is another thing that we want to guard against. And, and be careful we don't run into. So stay with me here on Bulletproof State Planning. We'll, I'm your host, Estate Plan Stan, and we'll be back right after the break.
0: For 60 years, people have shopped Parks Motor Sales to get the best vehicles and the best service. ParksMotorsales.com has details on new Buicks, certified pre-owned cars, trucks and SUVs, financing, certified technicians, parts, tires and much more. Stop by 919 Nashville Highway. Take a Buick for a test drive and learn why the Buick Encore and Buick Enclave are among America's most reliable vehicles. Experience the new Buick at Parks Motor Sales. This is Dr. Wendy Tui from the Dr. Gill Center. Are you suffering from knee pain despite trying usual medications and injections? If this is you, I have great news. Most common causes of knee pain are degeneration due to aging, injury, or repeated stress. In our office, we offer decompression for the knee, which increases range of motion and decreases pain in arthritic and degenerative knees. Studies have shown that this type of mechanical traction can be more effective than conventional methods alone. Initial exam and x-rays, $39. Call mepainfree.com or 615-551-9224. I don't know about you, but I just love doing business with small businesses. You feel appreciated when you walk in, and they know your name. At Caledonian Financial, we try very hard to appreciate our clients. We value everyone, and we reject the idea that you're not worthy of advice if you don't have a certain amount of money. We love our neighbors, all of them. This is Monty Sneed with Caledonian Financial in historic downtown Columbia. Securities and investment advisory services offered through NBC Securities Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Murray County Volunteer Firefighters provide fire and rescue services to Murray County residents like you. I'm Savannah Madison, Public Information Officer with Murray County Fire. Our department serves over 600 square miles, and as a volunteer department, we rely on community donations to operate. You can also support by joining our department. We help you obtain the certifications to become a support member or firefighter. Learn more about making a tax-deductible donation or becoming a firefighter at murraycountyfiretn.org. That's murraycountyfiretn.org. This is Jumpin' Joe Wiley, and you're listening to 101.7 WKOM Columbia.
1: All right. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back from the break. And you are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning. I am your host, Estate Plan Stan. And we're going to pick up right where we left off. And we had just gone over a review from last week where we talked about the five-year lookback rule. And I kind of recapped it and pretty much put it in perspective. And the big takeaway with the five-year lookback rule is it is something we want to Plan around. We want to avoid that. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned that, you know, it's based on the amount of money you give away. And the example I said was $210,000. It gives you 30 months, right? Because the divestment penalty advisor is a specific number. And that number is 7000 and ninety, okay? Seven zero nine zero. So round it out to seven, divided in two hundred and ten, you get thirty months. That's how I got that. Now, it's based on the value. If I only gave away seven thousand ninety dollars, then the penalty would only be one month, right? But if I gave away, you know, a million dollars, it'd be it'd be way up there. Now there's no upper limit, so it can be more than five years. But it's not always automatically five years. That's the point. But whatever it is, we don't like it. Now, let me point out that there are some strategies we'll talk about here when we talk about crisis planning where we create a penalty period intentionally. And we'll talk about that. So that's not a mistake. I mean, there's a time when we can maybe make the penalty period work for us. Okay? That's what that's all about. And it doesn't sound like you can make something like that be in our favor, but we can. <clears throat> That'll be when we get the crisis planning. So, Now, the other thing I said I wanted to mention that we uh, we want to – we want to not get involved in is and plan around as best as we can. And that is called being subject to the 10-Care Estate Recovery Act. Estate recovery works like this. Let me talk about um, what happens to somebody that doesn't do any planning. Let's just take a single individual. So you could be a married couple and be the second death, or you could be just single. And you, let's say you own a home. Let's keep it simple. You own a home. And you need to go into long-term care, okay? You get a stroke, you know, you're paralyzed, you don't have any family, so somebody's got to take care of you, you go into long-term care, okay? Kind of a simplistic scenario, but you get the idea. So you're in care, now you want to get eligible because all you really own is your home, right? And so you fill out your 10-care application, and... What 10Care will do with your home, which is defined as a personal residence, okay, doesn't apply to other pieces, doesn't apply to all real estate you own, only it applies to the real estate of your home. So let's just say the only real estate I own when I go into the nursing home is my personal residence, where I lived before I went to the nursing home. They will allow you, so let's use that $210,000 house again. They will allow you to exempt the home. Now, the home is a countable asset. That's one of those assets you have to have less than $2,000. So if, if I got $210,000 of countable assets and I need less than $2,000 of countable assets, I've got $208,000 too many, don't I? Well, the way we solve that is they will let us exempt the home, which means we will take the whole $210,000 that's the value of the home and remove it from the countable assets column. Now, in my case, if that's all I have, I'm now down to zero, which means I'm less than 2,000 of countable assets. Now I'm eligible, right, because I've, I've, I've met the eligibility. We'll talk about this eligibility. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I need to, to go through the Estate Recovery Act. Now, and you'll hear nursing homes say this from time to time. They'll say, hey, your house is protected. Well, my response to that is protected from what? It's exempt. It's not really protected so here's the way it works. So they, you know, they they take that out of your accountable assets column. They put it in the exempt column. You're now eligible. They start paying my bill to the tune of $120,000 a year. I'm there for three years, and then I pass away. So I've racked up about a $360,000 bill, according, you know, assuming it all stays the same, which it doesn't. And so I pass away. Now, TenCare is going to file a claim on my estate. $360,000, the cost of my care. They want, they're going to have their hand out and say, We want paid back the cost of care. And they can do that. And if I had a will that said, Hey, I leave my house to my son, well, 10Care, because they're the government, they're the state of Tennessee, is going to come in with a priority claim that is ahead of my kids. And they get paid first. Now they're going to come after that house. And you're saying, But wait a minute. The house was protected. No, I didn't say that. The nursing home says it's protected. I said it was exempt. Big difference, okay? So what they're going to do is they're coming after that home. Now, remember the house? You still own it. It didn't go anywhere. They just didn't use it against you for eligibility purposes, okay? Ownership never changed. It's kind of like being a tax-exempt organization. You have... You earn income. So you have an income tax and you're supposed to, you owe the tax, but they will exempt it, meaning they'll forgive it and you don't have to pay it. Doesn't mean you don't have it and you don't owe it. It just means you don't have to pay it. Same thing with this you have this value. They're just not going to use it against you as an asset that keeps you from becoming eligible because if you owned a home, you'd never be eligible, right? At least, until you, or if you sold it and got rid of the money, but they, they don't make you do that. But it exists in your estate at death. Now, if you're a married couple and you're the first person to die and you've been in the nursing home, I mean, God bless them. They will wait until your spouse at home dies, who's living in the personal residence, before they come and take it. But that, as sure as I'm talking to you on the radio, they are coming to take it. That's called the Ten Care Estate Recovery Act. Now, I want to avoid that, too, because I am not. Let me repeat. I am not a big fan of exempting property. Why? Why? It's just a deferral. I mean, they're going to get it. They're just going to get it late. You know, it's just kicking the can down the road. Uh, they're going to get it. If you have a home you want to leave to your family, it's not going. It's going to get sucked up by the cost of care through the Estate Recovery Act. And so I'm not a big fan of exempting property. Seems like I can always come up with some idea that's better than that. I mean, it's a, it, at very best, it's a last-ditch effort for me. But it, that's the difference. That's diff- the state recovery. That's when they come after property afterward. And that is why we want to avoid against that. So this, f- this five-year look-back period, these uh, uncompensated transfers, we don't want to do. So I can't urge you enough that if you are looking at being in a nursing home or have already started and you're wondering what's going on and what you should do, don't start giving stuff away. That's going to come back and bite you. And don't fall for this exempt property thing. All right. Now, I want to say this. If you are a person, like I just mentioned, and you have already given stuff away, don't panic. Okay. Don't panic just yet. If you've already done this, I mean, I don't want you like pulling your hair out now and saying, oh my gosh, you just got done. Say, don't do that. We've been doing that for six months now. We've been giving stuff away. All right. Don't, here's why I say don't panic. Tennessee is one of the few states out of 50 that will allow you to cure a penalty period. You know, we got to get the property back, but if we can get the property back, we can make the penalty period go away. We can even do partial cures if we can't get all the property back. So we can mitigate and lessen the blow if we can't get it all back, okay? So if that's the case, come see me, talk to me, and we'll discuss what you've done and whether it needs to be cured or not. Because we can't. All right. One last thing about this this penalty period and is giving things away for less than market value. There's also a version of that that is um, proportionate. Meaning this, if you they call all kinds of things gifts. So if you just gift a piece of property to your kid, you know that's an obvious gift. If you just give your kid ten thousand dollar check, that's an obvious gift. Now, how about if you have a Ten thousand? No, a twenty thousand dollar vehicle, and you sell it to your kid for ten thousand dollars. Well, they're going to call that an under an underpayment, and they're going to call that a partial gift. They're going to say that's yeah, you got compensated for it, but you didn't get compensated fair market value. Because remember what I said was an uncompensated transfer is a transfer for less than fair market value, which means in the case with the car, you got ten thousand, so they're going to call the ten thousand other dollars you should have charged him to make it the fair market value, a gift. Or if you have your kid come mow the lawn and you pay him $200 an hour to mow your grass, they're going to say that's an overpayment, an intentional overpayment. It's really only worth 20 bucks an hour or whatever. So we'll consider the three hours he spent mowing the grass. We'll consider 60 bucks compensated transfer. But since you paid him $200 an hour, you, we're going to consider the other um, uh, $540 as a gift. So, you know, they've got it all figured out. So don't think anything you can think of has was already thought of back before the ink was dry on the Ten Care Act. You know what I mean? So um, these are all partial gifts. Um, You know, and the same thing with a life estate. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to give the house to my kids, but I'm going to reserve a life estate. And you can do that. But you might want to know what goes with it before you do it, because when you do reserve a life estate, what is that? Well, I'm giving the property to my kids. I'm divesting myself of it. I'm, I'm giving it to them, but I'm reserving the present possessory interest to live there for the rest of my life. Well, 10 care has a way of putting a value on that. So they're going to go to the actuarial tables, and they're going to look up your life, and they're going to go across the life estate column, and there's going to be these two numbers. One's going to be the remainder interest, which is what goes to your kid, and one's going to be the life estate interest, which is what you're retaining. And those two numbers are both fractions. And surprisingly enough, they both add up to one. And it's right around 30% for most ages. So if, if, I, if I have a $100,000 home, let's use a nice easy number, a $100,000 home and I, I deed it to my kid, but I reserve a life estate, they're going to look at that as a $70,000 gift because I gave $70,000 away and I retained $30,000 according to those tables. So, you know, giving stuff away or trying to get cute and give stuff away is, you know, is, is going to come back and bite you. Here's another example. And I don't know if I should get into this right now or not, but I guess so I will because uh, it's going to come up sooner or later. And that is a lot of people say, well, hey, I, I, mom's gone to the, heading for the nursing home and I've been taking care of stuff. We've given away $16,000 to several people in the family every year for a couple of years. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that the you know they you know, say so you can give away? It changes every year, so you might have heard fourteen thousand or fifteen thousand. Right now, it's sixteen thousand. You might have heard say, well, yeah, we can give away sixteen thousand dollars, and you don't have to file a gift tax return, but you can give that much away to as many people in a year as you want. That's right, you can do that. But that's not the whole story. Okay, the uh, okay. Let me make something clear. The IRS the Internal Revenue Service. That's a federal agency, right? The IRS says if you give away, you can give away up to $16,000 and theres you don't have to file a gift tax return. Now, they, they, that's great, but I mean, you can give away more than $16,000 if, if you want. When you give away more, you can give away 30000 if you want. You just have to file a gift tax return. Now, you don't pay a tax. The gift tax return is just informational. You don't pay a tax because they just want to keep up with your lifetime gifts because they're going to compare that to your estate at death to see if you're over the federal exemption allotment which is taxable so you know you know if you consider if it's less than 16,000 they consider it de minimis and don't they don't want, they don't need an informational return to keep up with it So I find people that do that. They give it to five, six people a year for a couple years, adds up to some real money. And they think, okay, I'm I'm making, I'm whittling down mom's estate and she's going to qualify for 10 care. Let me make something clear. You go to 10 care and you put on the application that you did that. They're going to say, these are all gifts. Okay. These, each one of these sixteen thousand dollars you gave to all these people in the last sixty months, we're going to sum them all up. Those are gifts; they're uncompensated. You gave them money, and they didn't get anything back for it. And that is true. And we're going to call it. A, we're going to use it to calculate a penalty period. And what's your response? But the government said I could do it. Look right here; they say you can do this to as many people as you want, and you can give it away. Now let's get one thing clear: TenCare is a state agency. It is not the IRS. Okay, And the IRS is not 10 care. They are two separate, I mean, completely separate. One's state, one's federal, and one deals with income taxation, and one deals with 10 care. Care when you're elderly, over 65 nursing home care. The IRS says, yeah, you can do that. And you can. But if you do it and you run into having to qualify for long-term care, they're going to be gifts for them. All right? You see? So don't, you know, I can't tell you how many times people have come in and said, you know what, I've been doing just what the government said to do. I've been gifting away money to my grandkids. I've gotten rid of over $200,000 that way. Uh, yeah, well, my, my first question to them is, can we get it all back if we need to file for ten care? Because if we can get it back, we can cure the gift, right? So don't go down that, don't get caught up in that quagmire because there's a difference between the two. That's why going and talking to your neighbor or your hairdresser, or your barber, and taking their advice and acting on it can be so dangerous. It's usually wrong. And you will hear people advise you to do that. It isn't, I mean, again, you can do it. You can give property away. There's nothing stopping you. You just need to know and understand the baggage that comes with that. Because if you give it, you know, let's say you're 50 years old and you're in great health. Giving it away, you know, consequences may not be that big a deal. Because the consequences are only going to be if you have to deal with this concept of long-term care. But if you're 68 or 70 and you're already starting to have health issues and you start giving stuff away, it is most assuredly going to be a disadvantage when it comes time to um, qualifying for benefits, right? So that's what I, that's what I mean when I talk about education and knowing your options. You got to know what you're doing. You can you can get yourself in a you know get your tail caught in a crack that might not be might be hard to get out of. All right, that was that. So let's move on. All right now. We're going to start with this concept of the income-only asset protection trust because when you are in pre-planning, and remember, that's why said I'm talking about, pre-planning, we're not yet in the nursing home. This is the only tool available. Now, there's a bunch of tools that will become available once we get into crisis. And what's, what's crisis? Crisis when somebody is actually there. Well, we're not in crisis right now. We're worried that someday my wife and I might have to go in the nursing home. We're not sick. We're healthy. We're not knocking on the door. But, you know, we're 65 or so and we're thinking, you know, I've been working all my life. If I do go or you go, wife, uh, you know, we don't want to get cleaned out. So we're pre-planning. We're thinking ahead of time before it's really an actuality or um, a, a foreseeable action. So a Income Only Asset Protection Trust is a living trust. It's a specific living trust. And it's a living trust because we talked about this when we talked about the revocable living trust. It's a living trust because it's recreated while you're living. You know, it's not really a trick question. Um, but unlike the revocable living trust, this is a trust that also protects your assets. You know, it protects it from probate like the revocable living trust. It also protects it from lawsuits like the revocable living trust does. And it also, it also, but this one also protects it from your your creditors. Okay. And the creditors we're talking about is Medicaid or 10 Care or the you know the nursing home expenses. Now, one of the big differences between the revocable living trust and the income only asset protection trust is one, the asset protection trust is an irrevocable trust. The of course the revocable living trust is revocable. The asset protection trust is irrevocable. Now, You know, don't panic when you hear that. I hear people say irrevocable trust. I don't want anything to do with that because that means I can't control anything. I can't use it. I can't. It's gone. I'll never see it again. And uh, it's just, it's just not there anymore. And that's not true. Okay, not true. Uh, People hear that word irrevocable trust and they just sort of panic over that. So now, what we're trying to create here. Remember, I gave you a definition to memorize, and if I didn't, I'm going to reiterate it. It's not a definition, it's a concept. The concept is that if you can get access to your assets, so can your creditors, all right? So if you can get access. Now, access is something different than control. We're going to talk about that. But if you can get access to it, your creditors can get access to it. So let's look at it this way. If I can go to the bank, take out 50 bucks and put it in my wallet, that that's access to it, right? So if I've got a creditor who wants to access my Bank account, I mean, they can go get it to satisfy a judgment, right? I can get access to it. They can get access to it. Okay, that's a concept you need to commit to memory. All right, listen, we are coming up on break number two. And when we come back, we're going to continue with the Asset Protection Trust here on Bulletproof Estate Planning. Stay with me. I'm your host, State Plan Stan. Be back in just a few. You have a loved one who's either in long-term care or going to be soon? Are you worried about losing everything you own? Everything that you've worked for your entire life? If so, we can still do crisis planning and protect the majority of your property. If you have a loved one in this situation, call me Estate Plan Stan at Prochowski Estate Law. From a little information, I will generate a written report explaining how much property we can protect. Don't go broke just because you require long-term care. Call me 931-363-7222. This is Jack Cobb with Murray County Public Schools and the Big Yellow School Bus. You're listening to Front Porch Radio on 101.7 WKOM in Columbia, Tennessee. Hey, we are back. Welcome back from the break. You are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning. I am your host, Estate Plan Stan. All right, in this third and final segment of the show, we're going to continue with this concept of how not to go broke in the nursing home. And we're talking about the the tool that we use is the Income Only Asset Protection Trust. And that is the tool we use when we are in pre-planning mode. Remember, pre-planning means you're not there yet. You're not in the home. If you're already in the home, then stick around. Next week we'll probably, or the week after, we'll start getting into crisis planning. That's where, that's where it will be relevant for you. All right. So we talked about this concept that uh, if you have a revocable living trust, it has okay. The revocable living trust is a great tool. It is a wonderful, wonderful tool. We use, we do it a lot. We make a lot of them, mostly for people in midlife. But it does have one limitation. One limitation. And that limitation is it does not protect you. You meaning the trustor, the maker of the trust. It does not protect you against your creditors. Now, you may remember I said in a revocable living trust, if you want to leave property to your kids, you can protect it from their creditors. You can protect it from their lawsuits. You can divorce proof it and protect it from their lawsuits like that. You can protect it against your kids' creditors all day long. You can do that with any trust, not just a revocable living trust. What I'm talking about is protecting you against your creditors during your lifetime. So let's use myself and my wife as an example. So here we are, Stan and Tammy Pierchowski, and I want to. I'm worried one of us is going to go into long-term care. Well, when you you don't go into long-term care after death, right? You go in there during life. So I'm dealing with our lifetime, and if they go into long-term care at a month, we are going to have a creditor, or at least after we run out of money, we will. So we want to guard against that. So if we have this, you know, if if we've got this creditor that we want to protect against, the revocable living trust doesn't do that. Why? Because we are all three parties to the revocable living trust. Remember, we're the trustor, the trustee, and the beneficiary. What that means is we have 100% complete, unfettered, uh, complete and total access and control of the property. We can take it out and do what we want with it. We can take it out and spend it. We can take it out and buy a boat. We can take it out and give it away as charity. We can do anything we want with it because we have complete access and complete control. Now, when you have that kind of access and control over your property, your creditors can get at it too. Because remember the concept I told you to remember? is if you can get access to an asset, so too can your creditors. So if you have a revocable living trust where you have 100% access to everything, what's that mean? Well, think of it this way. If you can get at it, they can get at it. So if you can get at it, well, then 10 care can get at it, right? So what we want to do is kind of create a situation where we can't get at it. And again, don't panic. That's this irrevocable trust. Not getting at it doesn't mean we don't have control over it. It doesn't mean we don't, have the use of it, doesn't mean we don't have all the benefits of ownership. We're just going to create a legal situation where our access is denied. We have 100% control. I'm going to talk about that next. There's a big difference between access to an asset and control of an asset. What we're giving up is access. And so that's why the Revocable Living Trust doesn't work, because we have 100% access. And again, if we can get at it, they can get at it. So, if we want complete, you know, if we want that, that's great. But if you want creditor protection, you have to give up access to property. Now, during my seminars, I do it like this I hold my left hand up and I say, if you have 100% access and 100% control, then I hold my right hand all the way down and I say, you don't get any creditor protection. If you want creditor protection, so I raise my right hand and start lowering my left. If you want credit or protection, you have to give up access. It is just the fundamental nature of property law. I mean, you can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too, right? Now, again, most people associate these words of irrevocable trust with giving up control. Uh, you know, I, I'll, never be, I'll never be able to use this asset again. It's gone forever. I mean, it's, it's, I can't, it's just, I, I'll never see it again. Well, that's not the case. Remember, I, I, you know, this is what I call the par, one of the Paul Harvey moments. Uh, what was Paul Harvey known for? The rest of the story, right? Okay, well, when you hear the word irrevocable trust, just don't go off the deep end and say, I'm not interested in that because I don't want to give up control. Well, hear me out, okay? You're not giving up control. You're maintaining a ton of control, infinite control. What you're giving up is this concept of access. And you need to know, know and understand the difference between the two to be able to make a decision whether this is the kind of thing you want to do or not. It's not rocket science. It's just nobody's ever explained it to you before. You've never heard it before. So, um, when you hear you know when you hear the word irrevocable trust, you know most of what you hear about an irrevocable trust is wrong. It's just not correct legally. Let's listen to this rest of the story, okay? And the rest of the story is that an irre- irrevocable income only asset protection trust will let a person or allow them to retain an infinite control over these assets during their life, and at the same time, provide them with creditor protection. I mean, these trusts also serve to reduce the risks that are associated with transferring outside assets outright to children, okay? You know, it, it it'll help dispel the common myth that one has to give their assets away and give up control over them in order to protect them from both the costs that are associated with long-term care or in, in just general creditors, right? Now, I'm going to finish explaining how this works, but when I get to the end of it, you're going to see that the Income Only Asset Protection Trust really is about as close to having your cake and eating it too as I can get you. It is a grand tool. I think it's underutilized. We do a lot of them, but I don't really know anybody else that does them. I don't know why. Uh, But uh, it's a grand, grand tool, and it's available to us, at least here under the Tennessee Trust Code. These things are available to us. And I think we ought to take advantage of them. I mean, does that sound interesting to you? Well, it should. So stay with me. I mean, you're about to hear what I call the ultimate secret to avoid going broke in the nursing home. And unfortunately, I'm going to run out of time before I get into the the meat of it. But we'll be back next Saturday night and make sure... That we've got it. So basically the concept is this. As we get older, as we age, we we start to get concerned about the potential costs that we're going to run into on long-term care, right? We talked about those. So our focus starts to shift to strategies that are going to protect our assets, protect our stuff, protect it from you know either general creditors or the, the creditor most people are worried about, which is the cost of long-term care. That's where we're headed, and that's what we're going to talk about. You can do it, you know, you know. And you know the assets I'm talking about. They usually consist of the home, you know, maybe a vacation home, rental property, uh, liquid investments in the bank. You know, most people are generally reluctant to transfer those kind of assets directly to the kids or family members for fear of giving up this total control over them. And that fear, what that does is it usually results in procrastination or inaction. So leaving all your lifelong accumulation of wealth is now left at risk. So instead of the fear and that procrastination, let's consider transferring our assets to the irrevocable income only trust. All right. Listen, I'm about out of time and I want to bring up my next seminar. We just had one Wednesday, but the next one's going to be June the 10th. That's a Saturday at 10 o'clock. And that's going to be at the Lawrence in Lawrenceburg at the WLX radio station country cafe. I'll talk about more about that next Saturday. So Hey, like I said, I'm about out of time. So, hey, if what you've heard this week has piqued your interest, I'm glad. I'm really glad. My mission is to get the message out that when it comes to estate planning, you have options. You have lots of options. Now, if you you have any questions about your own family circumstances, just give me a call. I'm more than happy to take the time to answer. Call my office at 931-363-7222 or go to my website, estateplanstand.com, and set up a phone call. Uh, Remember, doing nothing has a predictable result. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the show as much as I enjoy doing it. I'll be back on Front Porch Radio WKOM 101.7 next Saturday night at 7 p.m. for the next episode of Bulletproof Estate Planning. And I am Estate Plan Stan. See you next week. (music)
0: to give back to an individual with disabilities and help change a life? The Guide Dog Foundation and America's Vet Dogs are seeking volunteers to help raise future guide or service dogs. Puppy raisers provide loving homes for puppies until they are old enough to begin formal training. Help raise an adorable pup into a future guide or service dog for a person who is blind, visually impaired, a veteran, or a first responder. Visit puppy.guidedog.org to learn more. That's guidedog.org Sponsored by the Guide Dog Foundation. Adult education in Tennessee, it's more than just a diploma. It's a path to a better life. It's a way to help you communicate more effectively. From high school equivalency classes and testing to English as a second language and college prep courses, there's no shortage of opportunities to enhance the lives of you and your family. Adult education in Tennessee, it's more than just a diploma. Go to tnworkready.com to unlock your maximum potential. Brought to you by
1: Tennessee Adult Education, the Tennessee Association of Broadcasters, and this station. Oh! People are crazy about the Lana brace. Whoa.